Leap of Fate Podcast fans. Welcome to this week's episode with yours truly, as always, Randy Silver. What is the Leap of Fate? It's always around helping you understand how you overcome adversity, teaching you life lessons, which we're going to do this week, making you the best version of yourself. My guest this week, his name is John Piccini. He is John is known as the Airbnb data guy. John, say hi to the fans or wave to the fans. How's it going, everybody? Let me tell you about John and let me tell you why he's on the podcast. We hear a lot nowadays about residual income, hearing how can I make money when I sleep? There's a lot of ways people can do it nowadays. We've had guests on this podcast talk about e-commerce. So that way people are obviously buying products throughout the sleep. We haven't talked about yet, and it's actually been quite a while since I had my friend Alexio talk about real estate come on. Um, Airbnb is something that is very popular for people to do, go to travel to a spot, buy an Airbnb, excuse me, rent an Airbnb, and you get the opportunity to stay in a new location, not have to be in a hotel, cook for yourself, all goes with it. What about the opposite side of it? How do you then own those houses or get the opportunity to be the Airbnb-er so that you're letting people stay in the spot that you live. It could be your house, your apartment. How do you get three, four, five different houses, have them all become Airbnbs, and now you're making residual income off of that? So John is here today to talk about that. So let me give you John's background and how he's the expert to help us in this conversation. In 2017, John sold his $10 million investment portfolio to start Airbnb arbitrage business at the age of 24. Within two years, he was managing 15 cash-flowing Airbnbs in Chicago, Illinois. What was more important, though, was he was able to create a process of sorting through Airbnb data to do it in a very highly profitable way to find properties where he could make the most margin, which means the most profit for him. He now helps teach people the same process and is known as the Airbnb data guy. So John is here today to talk everything around how you can get yourself into the Airbnb real estate game, how you can use data to be successful to find the best Airbnb properties and everything in between to make you successful and hopefully your goal of achieving residual income. So you maybe you don't need to work that nine to five anymore. You can live off of what's coming in through Airbnb and other avenues you may have. So with that being said, let's bring John back into the podcast. John, welcome to the Leap of Fate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So happy to have you. I always ask the guests this before we dive in. Was there anything else you feel like I missed? Anything else the audience should know before we dive into the podcast? Uh, yes. So in 2020, when the whole world shut down, hospitality did really poorly. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was lucky enough that at the exact same time of everything sort of stopping, I had somebody who wanted to buy my entire portfolio of Airbnbs at that point, which was about 15. Um, and so he purchased all of my contracts and, and my business. And from that point on, I started to just doing, uh, just start doing Airbnb data consulting instead. Um, and so right now I don't have Airbnbs. However, I am working to build up my portfolio again. Um, the first time I did it by renting and managing other people's homes. And now I'm going to be doing it by trying to own the homes themselves. And I'm going to try and make this a, a long play for the rest of my life. That's, that's the goal. Thank you for the background. So I would say that that started 2020. Let's take it back to like 2018, 2019, 2017, before pre-pandemic. And let's talk about it. How did you get into the Airbnb business and start to see, hey, this is something that I could, uh, you know, create money for myself off of? So it all started with my an extra room that I had in my apartment. Uh, my brother had moved out and I just had this extra room. I had heard about Airbnb, knew nothing about it. 
literally just downloaded the app and I'm like, I'm going to give it a shot. And I uh, was living in the house while other people were also going to be living in the room. Um, and I actually did it so wrong the very first time, like set it up so <laughs> poorly that the first two weeks I had to move back in with my parents because I didn't want to get a bad review. So I ended up like renting out the entire home. I didn't couldn't stay there. But anyways, I realized uh, within that summer that I was actually making more than my rent. Um, and I thought it was super cool. I'm like, this is this is pretty crazy. Like, wasn't expecting that to happen, right? Um, and so what I started to do was actually start reading articles, uh, learn about other people's experiences. And then probably the biggest breakthrough was when I came across uh, this website called AirDNA that has all of the data for every Airbnb that exists in the entire world. So they track every single Oh, Airbnb. wow. Yeah. And so essentially you can like just see how much revenue is being made from an Airbnb, right? It's kind of crazy. It's almost like if you could look and see how much a Subway was making, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or McDonald's and like know how much everyone was making, but you can do that with the Airbnbs. Um, and so when I started to do that and look into the data, I realized that there was people making like crazy amounts of money. Um, and that there were some people make had, that had like 60 listings and every, you know, I came across this one guy around Yosemite in California and he was managing like 60 different places and all of them were making over a hundred thousand a year. And it just kind of like blew my mind. I was like, I, I couldn't even believe that that was an actual business. And so from there, I, that's when I started taking it more seriously, but I was also an investor at that time period. And I started doing like a, a ton and ton of research and, uh, opened up my first home in Michigan. Uh, actually right in Detroit. So I'm from Canada. I crossed the river and opened up a place in uh, Detroit. And then I opened up another place in Gross Point, which is like the suburb of Detroit. Um, and so that's how I got my first two, which both ended up completely failing, by the way. Oh, wow. Yeah. So lost a, lost a bunch of money on those homes, but I didn't understand the data process that I know now. Um, and at the time, I had no idea that they were going to lose me money. Right. But now knowing what I know, I would have never, ever gone into those homes in the first place. Um, however, from there, with the lessons that I learned and the everything that I kind of picked up and just like keep researching and kept getting better at the uh, understanding the data, I ended up raising money um, roughly around 250000 and going to Chicago to open up more homes. And when I got to Chicago within the first eight days, I was able to find four homes that all all cash flowed. Right. And I, and I got those ones set up. And then over the next two years, I opened up more homes as I continued to go. Um, but yeah, that's like the quick, the quick uh, start to finish, I guess you could say. So that makes sense. Let's take a, a step B, C, and D to help really give some information to the audience out there. When you say open up homes, what does that mean? Did you buy? Did you rent? And what does it take to actually open up a home in terms of getting it ready for Airbnb? Okay, so I did, at first I did what is called referred to as rental arbitrage, where you rent somebody's house and then you turn it into an Airbnb and rent it out, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, you'll obviously let the landlord know you're going to be doing this and then you just go and set it up, you furnish it, and then you uh, rent it out to people on Airbnb. And the idea is that you want to make more money than what you're paying in rent and expenses, right? Yep. Pretty straightforward concept. Um, so that was the way that I got started. And then from there, I ended up transitioning into management. So I found other people, other people who uh, had a home that would be great for Airbnb. I got them to furnish it. And then I took care of everything and then just took a cut for managing the home for them. Right. right. So those were the two methods that I did. Um, the third method is that you could do is actually purchasing, purchasing. Right. Yep. 
Um, now I want to explain a little bit more into like the risks and rewards of each one of these, if that's okay, just yeah. because I feel like a lot of times, uh, it's not explained and people just like think rental arbitrage is the best thing in the world and or management is the best thing in the world. So yeah, can, I, can I ask you one question before you dive into those three? Did, course, did, yeah. you, did the person that you were renting the home from when you did the first scenario, were they taking a cut from you or was it all straight from you? You paid him rent and then you took money from the Airbnb or did he take a percentage off of what you made off of re-renting it out? No. So you, you never want to give the person an extra percentage because you're already giving them rent, right? Exactly. That's, that's, that's the agreement. You give them rent and you can do, you can do Airbnb out of their property. You're taking the risk, right? The, the landlord isn't by you paying them the, the, the rent um, and paying the utilities, you're taking the risk. So you should get all the upside. The landlord isn't, isn't taking any risk. They're just receiving it. Why should they get extra money? Right. If a, if a landlord ever says like, Hey, give me like 10% of your revenue, you just go on to another home because there's so many other options. Right. Um, that's pretty much the way that I look at it. So that's yeah. great. Great info. Yeah. So now we can dive into the, the three different scenarios. So please take it away. Yeah. Yeah. So, so rental arbitrage is, is the one where you as the Airbnb entrepreneur is going to be taking on the most risk, right? Um, because you have to pay for the furniture, you have to pay for the utilities, you have to pay for the rent, you know, everything I just mentioned, right? You are taking all that on. And as an example, each one of my homes on average was about $70,000 a year in expenses, right? So like I needed to cover $70,000. So there's yep. a ton of money there and I'm taking a ton of risk. Now, the idea is that you want to be making $100,000 a year. So you're that you're walking away with $30,000 of profit from your home, right? Like that's, that's the goal. Um, however, on top of that, you also have to pay for the furniture to furnish the entire home and generally like a deposit for the house too. So for me, I focus on four bedrooms and that would cost me about roughly about $20,000 between the furniture, um, the, you know, all the stuff to get it up and like the, the labor to get it up and running the deposit, uh, first month's rent, it all costs about $20,000. So I had to have $20,000 in my hand to be able to put out into the Airbnb to get it even off the ground and get started. So yeah. like rent rental arbitrage sounds great when you just think, oh, I have $70,000 of expenses and I'm making a hundred thousand. But like the reality is that you're, you're taking on a huge liability when you have no, and like there's no assets with rental arbitrage furniture is not an asset and a lease is not an asset. Um, and then you're also, um, you're taking on all the risk and you have to put up a bunch of money to get started. Right. Yeah. So the combination of those two makes it what I would refer to as like the, the, the worst of the three options. Okay. And that, right. It doesn't mean that option number two, I, I do have two questions for you. So please continue this one and make sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, what are the questions? That's perfect. So one, so let's just hypothetically say you put $70,000 down for the year. You make a hundred thousand based off of the rental arbitrage. Are you paying taxes on that net of 30,000? Because then fair enough, you're not actually profiting. You're in your take home. is not 30,000. And then two, with the liability risk, whatever happens, if something happens with the, the people renting out the Airbnb, they come to you. They're actually coming to the, the person owning it. So then all they risk incurring is on you. Correct. For the most part, yeah. So I'll answer the first one. So the first one is uh, paying taxes. Yes, like yes, you're going to pay taxes just like any any other business when you're making a profit, you're paying taxes, right? Uh, the nice thing is that there are a ton of write-offs in this business. Be like almost every single expense of that seventy thousand is a write-off, and so like whatever taxes you have to pay on the thirty thousand uh, would you'd likely get back, 
because you've already paid so much out to the economy, right? Drive it. Um, so uh, that's not that's not guaranteed, but like that's generally kind of how yeah. it goes. Have a good um, tax guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then the the other side of it is, uh, or sorry, the the risk. So yes, the you know there there is a ton of risk um, that you are sort of taking on with the land with the guests doing something to the home. Now, Airbnb has something called air cover, which uh, covers a certain amount of liability in case the guest does like burn down your home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, you can also get insurance to cover the home as well. So like additional insurance that it has to be specific to short-term rentals. There's only like a couple of policies that exist in, throughout the entire country, um, but you can get it. Um, however, on the smaller stuff, right? So like if somebody punches a hole in the wall, that's on you. You know, you have to, yeah. you have to pay a guy to come out there. Or you got to do it yourself and you got to fix that. If if the toilet breaks, you got to fix that. Like all the small stuff, that's on you. Furniture breaks, it's on you, right? Now you can charge a deposit to the guest. And then if they break a chair and it's 100% their fault, you can get that money back. But that's like a, you know, those are tiny little nuances and there's a ton of stuff on YouTube that talks about that stuff. So like, drive it. Definitely go into that. Yeah. Cool. So that's scenario number one. That's very thorough. So let's move on to scenario number two. Yeah. So scenario number two, uh, scenario to me, scenario number two sounds a lot more sexy. However, it's significantly harder. Um, and usually you need rental arbitrage to get to this point. So uh, scenario number two is when you just manage somebody else's home, right? Now, this is like the number one most common thing in vacation rental markets. So if you're to think like Sedona, any beach in Florida, uh, Gatlinburg, like these are all areas where people are just buying these beautiful homes and just renting them out full time. It's a vacation rental area. That's all it is, right? Like hardly anyone lives there. Um, and so with these areas, you can have a business where you actually manage the Airbnb. Uh, you don't own it. You don't rent it. The, per- the person, somebody else owns it. And then you're t- just taking 20% of all of the revenue, right? So that's, that's the norm. That's the average price across the entire country, 20% of the revenue. So if the home makes $100,000, you're walking away with 20,000 for the year, right? And you have to take care of every single guest. You got to take care of the listing, the marketing, the pricing, like everything that you would have to do with the home, you take care of it, right? Um, Now, the reason why I say this one sounds so sexy is because you don't have to pay any money. Like you don't have to put anything into the furniture. So you have $0 up front, right? And you also can't really lose any money. If the home makes a $10,000 in one year, or sorry, $10,000 in one one month or $1,000 in one month, you're still walking away with 20% of that, right? Uh, Which is great because with rental arbitrage during the slow season, you generally like don't make money, right? So like in Chicago, I didn't really make money for six months. And then for the (laughs) other six months, I made a ton of money, right? Yeah. And it's just kind of how it goes. And so this is, so it's, there's no money up front, no risk either, because, you know, you're, you're not, you don't, you're not taking on any liability. You're not paying for the rent or the utilities. It's all covered by the landlord. Um, and you're just simply managing it right now. When you hear that in comparison to rental arbitrage, people are like, why would I ever do rental arbitrage? <laughs> right? Like it's yeah. just, there's, there's such a huge difference, but the reality is that to get a, to get somebody who owns a home to trust you to yeah. manage their home, right. To, to do what is needed to actually make it work is such a huge, uh, like without the experience, it's almost impossible to make that sale. That's not, yeah. I mean, it's not impossible. It's just almost impossible. Right. Um, and so what rental arbitrage allows you to do is show proof. You're like, look at these homes that I have, look how well I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Let me pull your home into my, my business. Let me pull it into my systems and I'll, I'll take care of it and run it really well. Right. 
Um, so generally, like the way that I see it working is that people start off with rental arbitrage and then they get into managing homes. And it, you like that's exactly what happened to me. Um, and it's, it's what happened to a lot of other people that I, I talked to as well, right? Okay. So is, is there a point when you're in rental arbitrage or you're managing people's homes where it becomes too bloated, where you can't do it and you need to say, get assistance to help you take care of the day-to-day? Of course, yeah. Usually around like property six to 10 in that range is where you're going to be starting to uh, bring on somebody else to help you with those things, right? Um, okay. At like 10 properties, you can almost sustain somebody else while sustaining yourself generally, right? Um, depending on if you have actually good properties that are profiting well and you, you know, you're really efficient about your capital and, and whatnot. So um, yeah, around that range. And then as you continue to scale, you continue to bring on more people, right? Is, is um, there a profit percentage that, like you said that 20% take home is per month is what you make. Is there a percentage that you, people should be trying to expect to take overall? Like I should be making a net 40% off of my operating costs for the year or something of that number. Yeah. So it's, it, uh, for management contracts, it's roughly going to be about 20% or sorry, 30%. You want to be around 30%. So like, you know, if, uh, if you made $10,000 in, in management fees, you're taking 3000 of that, you're keeping 3000 of that. Right. And you want to try and get that as high as you can possibly get it. You can get it between like 50 and 30, like in that range. Um, because there's not a, a it, it all just depends on your systems, how well you have those in place. Right. Um, so, so yeah, there's that. And if you're growing, if you're growing, you're generally have more expenses because you're, you're putting more time and effort into sales and whatnot that causes more things. So it all just depends on where you are at with the business when it comes to manage, uh, profit margins. Awesome. So that's the first two scenarios. Then we got scenario number yeah. three, which is of course the one that probably people want to say is the king on the castle is owning the yeah. spot because all you, yeah. so please talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So owning is like, is the best right now mind you i haven't owned any just yet myself but i i will within a very short period of time right so like i'm i'm actively in the process of figure of doing that um and i will have my own very soon however with owning it's very very similar to rental arbitrage however you actually own the property which is a huge difference because now you have the asset yeah right so everything's the same you've you've got to buy for furniture you you're taking on the liability of the of the mortgage instead of the rent, uh, you're taking on the utilities, all of those things are the same. The diff- main difference, obviously, is actually acquiring that property. So yeah. you have to have the amount of the ability to get a mortgage and the down payment, right? On top of that, you also have to have the ability to get the furniture. Uh, pretty straightforward stuff, right? Now, the reason why people don't just buy homes like crazy is because of those reasons. It's hard to uh, get 10 mortgages in one year uh, because of the amount of capital that it takes, right? Yeah. Uh, there's different ways you can do it. You can do, you know, joint venture partnerships. If you really know what you're doing, uh, if you're into real estate, and you you know, real estate, and you know how to find a good deal, then like you likely will be able to raise money and actually uh, acquire more than one property or two properties by yourself, right? If you split it with other people. Um, but that's, that's a general idea, like rental, arbit- uh, sorry, owning is very, very similar to rental arbitrage. And, uh, but, but the reason why it's so much better is because you can, own the property, you you get the equity in the property. Um, it's a appreciating asset as long as everything continues to keep going up, which it always has, except for yeah. 2008, but it all bounced back, right? Um, and at the same time, you're you're covering all your bills by renting it out, right? Or sorry, by Airbnb it. And so like the reason why I want to own everything is because of rental arbitrage, 
I went through COVID. So when COVID hit, everything stopped and everything, like all the, you know, uh, all the revenue that was coming in just completely went away. And then I just had a ton of liability and I had no assets. And, and, um, so essentially just all I had were these contracts for homes that would do well if the world was normal. Um, but when you own the home, you can have baked in equity, right? Say you, uh, fixed up the home before you actually acquired it. Then you, you have already you forced appreciation within that home and your Airbnb being it, if everything goes to shit and everything falls apart, then you just simply, um, you know, try to either get it rented long-term, but you're still going to continue to hold on to it. And it's going to keep appreciating for you. So like, I think everyone understands like the extreme benefits of actually owning a home, right? So I don't need to go into too much detail about it. And obviously, as you can tell, I don't, I can't speak about it as well just yet. Um, but I'm getting to that point. So so yeah, so that's the those are the three different methods and ways you can go about it. Yeah. So then last question on owning the home. When would it make sense? Maybe this is just a personal preference to then do the second one where someone's helping manage your home versus you managing yourself and doing everything that goes into it. Like I guess then the second question to that would be what goes in the day-to-day of actually managing a property that's an Airbnb? Okay. So first, so to answer the first question, um, like when do you get somebody else to manage it? It's all, all preference, right? So, and like what you're planning on doing. So me personally, I would rather manage the home myself and just try to keep as much profit as I possibly can. When I get to like a certain number, maybe then I'll bring on somebody else and and pay them to take care of all of it. Right. Which I likely have to do around the six to 10 mark. Like we already mentioned. Yep. Um, however, there are people out there who will just buy a home and get somebody else to manage it. And then they do zero work and they just try to make whatever additional profit that they can. Now, the reason why I don't like this option is because it's extremely difficult to actually turn a profit in your Airbnb um, after expenses, right? And especially if you're giving away 20% of your profit to somebody to take care of it, your, your margins are like almost nothing. Like I've, I've stared at so many listings. I've ran the numbers on so many lists on so many homes. And if you add in that management fee, you're losing almost all of your profit. So oh, if wow. you're okay with having no cash flow from the property, but you're also doing no work, then you can have somebody else manage it and you're generally good. Now that does not mean that there's no way that you can get, you can cash flow and have somebody else take care of it. You definitely can, right? Um, you can, uh, like a good example is I had one home that profited like $40,000 a year. Um, and with that home, I could very easily pay somebody to, you know, a thousand dollars a month or 20% of the, of the profits and have them manage it without, while still making a profit. Right. I probably would have made 20,000 instead of 40,000. Um, but I still would have been cash flowing and doing absolutely nothing. Right. So like, I guess you ju- you would just have to be okay with that. If you're mm-hmm. and if that's a scenario that you're looking for, then you can do that. Now, um, you gotta gotta find you gotta find somebody you super trust, right? Like really, really trust. And then on top of that, you you probably still want to stay on top of them to a certain extent because uh, unless they're like gung ho about it and they're really, really good at it, sometimes like I've seen a real a lot of bad management companies, and so you just really want to find one that you trust if you're going to go into that scenario, right? So there's that. Now, and question number two, which is the day to day. Yeah, what right? does it take to manage an Airbnb property? Yeah. So, um, it's a weird. So there's there's a there's a lot, but then there's also the little. So it's kind of um, it's an interesting business to be in because 
there's a lot of upfront work to like actually get it up and running. But then once it's up and running, you can automate the, the messages to the guests so that you're barely even messaging them. Um, you have to like constantly tweak your prices and tweak your listing, but really you can get that all done uh, on one day. So like I used to go into all of my calendars on Monday and change all the prices and change all the listings. And it would maybe take me two hours in total. And so like, that would be about it. Um, the, the real scenario or the real management comes in the cleanings and the damage, yeah. right? So you really have to be, the home has to be clean. Like you've never walked into a hotel room and it's been dirty ever. Right. And yeah, if you have, sure. you probably paid like $20 to stay there. And so <laughs> the reality is like, that's, that's the case. Um, and so these people, if you want to make actual money, the home has to be just as clean as a, as a hotel. There's no ifs, ands, or buts around it. Right. Um, and so that's a lot of the work. And then you, uh, there's a lot of operations that you have to put in place to keep it running well. But once again, you're only cleaning it like once or twice a week. And the clean only takes maybe three or four hours and you're likely hiring somebody else to clean it. Right. Yeah. So Technically, you can completely outsource all of the cleaning and not have to do any cleaning whatsoever. And so that thing that might be like a might take a bunch of time, you can completely get rid of and pay somebody else to do. Right? Yeah, it just be coordinating the cleaners happening when someone leaves the Airbnb before the next people come in. Exactly. Right. Um, now, for myself, the reason why I say it's kind of like a a a weird thing where once you get something set up, then it's kind of like just running itself. For me, like I put a ton of time into my operations and my my standard operating procedures to ensure that I didn't have to be there for the cleans, but the cleans were still being done properly, right? Like tons of work of like training and figuring out the best way to go about it and like working with the cleaners to ensure that they knew what they were doing and trying to find a head cleaner who could like train the other cleaners and doing all these different little tasks to ensure that everything was getting done properly. And like if if a doorknob would break and we needed a new one, having a a system in place for all of that to be taken care of without me. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way I see it is that there's a lot of upfront work, not just putting the furniture together and like putting it, getting it up and running, but also like building out your systems to run those homes. There's a bunch of work that goes into that as well. But then once you get those systems in place, your work goes like down significantly. Right. Um, yeah. So there was a point where I had, it was around the point of having like 15 Airbnbs. Um, I also had an Airbnb at a Airbnb cleaning company as well. Um, and I used the Airbnb cleaning company's profits to hire a full-time employee to take care of the entire business. And so she was running everything, messaging all the guests, taking care of all the cleaners, taking care of like everything. And I was just overseeing her for all of that. And when, at that point, I wasn't doing much. Like I literally, I really wasn't. I was just ensuring that everything was going the way it was supposed to go. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like that's kind of what the day-to-day -day could look like. It's, it's a lot of like figuring out the systems to ensure that everything is running well. Yep. And that's kind of where you were making that passive income at that point is, Hey, I'm just kind of overseeing and not doing day-to-day -day. last question. Then we'll kind of move to the data part is when you say systems, because that word has been said by you a lot, is there actually some type of like tool or is it just like hey just making sure you have a google sheet knowing each house what is needed or was there something you utilized to be organized and successful i i used a lot of google sheets so there's yeah. no there's Figure. no handbook out there for airbnb there really should be but the issue is that every market's a little bit different and every house is a little bit different um so i used a lot of google sheets for like guest communication like how to respond to a guest 
ton of ton of different scenarios, wrote out all the scenarios and gave it to my person so that they always knew what to do, right? How what mm-hmm. um stuff like that. So I use a lot of Google Sheets for for checklists of like putting together a property, cleaning a property. Um, and you just kind of bundle them all together. Uh like Google Sheets, Google Docs, all of that is so my yeah it's so convenient it works so so well uh especially for that and so that's you know that's what i had to do so there's nothing out there that exists unfortunately but yeah got it well then what does exist so is the airbnb data expert which is you which is what you've yes. been able to create with so to take it to the second half of the interview with the last yeah. 10 minutes talk about how you're able to start looking at data and then make smart purchases and where to go with airbnbs and then on top of that, you know, what are some top markets and some tips out there that you could provide the audience, which again, you can find on his YouTube channel and other assets we'll talk about as well. Yeah, perfect. So um, this is where like I, I sort of shined. I did my best work was within the data, uh, which is something that I never would have thought would have happened because I'm not a data person. I actually have no background <laughs> in data whatsoever. Um, I did I did do investments in the past, right? Um, which made me very analytical. And I guess I just like, I really like to follow the money, like follow the numbers and and have proof in what's actually possible. And when I saw the data, it gave me proof, right? Uh, And so with the data, there's tons of data out there, right? And everything that we've just been talking about is like how to manage an Airbnb, you know, the different types of way that you can run an Airbnb. All of this is great, but none of it matters if you have an Airbnb that won't profit. And there are, literally millions of Airbnbs that exist in the world right now that don't make money. I can guarantee you. Um, and the issue is just simply that they're, they're, um, the expenses, the mortgage, everything is just too expensive and the home is not in the right place for it to actually be profitable. Hmm. Right? So there's certain spots in a city where people are actually touring and willing to go and willing to pay a good amount of money to stay at an Airbnb. And then there's some parts that they're just not. And the issue is that people are getting all these different homes in areas where people just don't really care that much about, but the real estate is still very expensive there and they're just unfortunately losing money. And so you have to ensure that you are getting the home in the right place for the right amount. Otherwise you're not going to make any, any money. You can manage the home, the the best, you get the best systems and management and it can look the absolute best, but if it's in the wrong place and you're paying the wrong amount, none of it matters. You're just losing money and you're working for free. Right. And so that's where data really comes in handy to ensure that before you even get started, you're making money, right? You've got the right home. You've got the right location. You've got it at the right price. And that's, you know, that's really what I figured out. So, um, I had, I had investors, I raised money. And when they, when you do that, you have to have proof of what you're capable of doing. Right. Um, you have to be able to be like, look at, I believe that this home is going to be able to make X and we're going to make this amount of profit. So you have to have some sort of proof for them to be able to give you the money. And so that's really where it all started for me. Like I'm also really... the, ba- the background to prove like I've done this before I can do it again. Exactly. Yeah. That, def- that without a doubt helps, right? Um, you need that too. So <laughs> combination <laughs> of the two without a doubt. Um, but yeah, so the data, so AirDNA is the, the, one of the sites that exists out there. It's one of the biggest ones. Um, and it is a site that tracks every single Airbnb that exists in the world. I know I've already mentioned that in the mm-hmm. podcast, but I just want to mention it again, right? They go into the calendar, they record the calendar, and then they track the data of that home and they're able to figure out how much it's making on an annual basis. And then they've created these dashboards that you can go and look at all these different homes and see how much they're making. Now, 
as great as that sounds, AirDNA makes it super difficult to understand the data. Yeah. And the, the issue is because with data, you're looking for, the only way that data is useful is if you can find a trend, some sort of pattern, some sort of consistency, right? That's all that data is. Um, it's the Burger King logic. So McDonald's spends millions of dollars to figure out what corner to be on and Burger King opens up across the street, right? And so data, that's that's essentially data. You're, you're the Burger King looking for all the successful McDonald's and you want to replicate exactly what they're doing and open up across the street, right? So the reason why I do Airbnb data consulting is because AirDNA is so confusing and has set their stuff up in a way that is not useful that I have figured out a process and a method of going through it to actually make it useful so you can find that pattern and that consistency, right? Um, and, and really that's what allowed me to be successful. So with the data, all like, if you're, if you're, if you're a beginner and you're going to air DNA and you're trying to figure it out, right. First off, I have a course on YouTube for free that teaches you a very, like, it's a free way of going about doing it. It's very manual. It's very, very labor intensive. And it's what I did back in 2017. Right. And pretty much like to sum it up, you take all of the data off of the website and you plug it into a spreadsheet so that all the four bedrooms are all one, it, for all the four bedrooms from one zip code are all together, right? And you can see them all together. And so you can see exactly how well they're all doing. And then it can tell you um, what is allowing one home to make 100,000 and one home to make 50,000, right? Because, hmm. and that's not even like, that's not an exaggeration in, in the amount of profit difference that a four bedroom can make in one zip code, right? I, in Nashville, wow. I looked I looked at in Nashville today in a specific zip code, there's one home making 457,000 and there's another home making 23,000 and they're both wow. four bedrooms. They're both four bedrooms in the exact same zip code, right? So you like this. So that's why data is super, super important, right? Now, mind you, obviously one's like uber luxury and one's not, right? Yeah. And so like that, that's, but then there's a ton in between. And so you got to figure out what, what's going on in between. So um, anyways, that's the, the, I can keep going, talking about data and kind of go a little further in, but do you have any questions specifically, or do you want me to keep going? Yeah. So what would you say the top zip codes are the top areas for people in the U S to look at? So it's going to depend on what you're trying to do, right? So if you're going to try and do rental arbitrage, then you're going to want to be in a metropolitan and almost every major city in the U S has the ability to be profitable in one way or another, right? Even right down to Indianapolis, which is just like, not a lot of people go there for not a lot of people are touring there, right? They're not going on vacations to Indianapolis, but there's still money to be made there, right? Um, and rental arbitrage, you really need to be in that kind of a market because you need a lot of homes to be for rent that are not Airbnbs already, right? Yep. Yep. And now, like, so like in, in Indianapolis, like okay, cool, you probably make more money like football on Sundays in the fall because people are traveling there to go to football games. So I probably wanted to be there at Lucas Oil Stadium or be there at the Pacers Arena and try to get more people coming that way. Exactly. Now, mind you, so yes, and at the same time, the Pacers are only playing for a certain part of the year. So you have yeah. to figure out how to make up the rest of the year, right? Um, Indianapolis would probably be a great example of a place that's like good for business travelers, right? Good for business travelers, not great for like tourism. Nashville, yeah. great for tourism, right? And probably business travelers as well, right? Um, and so you can have like a variety of different sizes of homes um, because it allows for that, right? Um, yeah. So... So if you're doing rental arbitrage, that's generally the case. Honestly, like 
the best way to go about it is just like think of the best places that you could be. Think of the biggest cities. So uh, Chicago, Austin, Nashville. Um, if you want to get deals on rent, you go Indianapolis, Cleveland. Um, if you, you know, you have to make sure that the regulation is good and allows it. So you got to stay away from like San Francisco and New York because they yeah. don't allow for it. Uh, so like very strict. I used to live there. Yeah. Super, super strict. And for good reasons, right? Like there's a, a housing problem. So <laughs> they kind of have to. <laughs> um, and then, and then the other option, right? If you're like purchasing or if you're going, um, if you're purchasing or if you're doing management, those two kind of fall in the same category when it, when it, you're looking for markets. Um, because when you're purchasing an Airbnb, you want it to be in a vacation area for the most part, because that's where you're going to benefit the most. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you're managing, you want to be in a vacation area because that's where people don't want to do it themselves. Right. And so, um, those areas, what I always recommend is kind of look for the hotspots. Um, if the hotspots and outside of the hotspots. Okay. So like Gatlinburg is a great example of this. So Gatlinburg is like one of the most popular up and coming, uh, not up and coming. It sort of already came because it's already like super popular but since 2020 to now it just like blew up it doubled in size right um and so gatlinburg is great for a, you know there's like 5000 vacation rentals there in chicago there's also 5000 to put that in perspective you know what i mean right. like the one of the largest the third largest city in the country and then gatlinburg just this like little town in tennessee or uh not tennessee is it tennessee gatlinburg uh, <laughs> i really should know that it's a good it's question I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm Canadian, so <laughs> Gatlin. No, it's Gatlinburg. Uh, that's Tennessee. You're correct. All right, there we go. Cool. Okay. Could guess my second guess myself there. So, all right. Um, so, like, that's going to be a great area where there's a ton of ton of rentals. Um, that so, and, yeah, like I live in San Diego, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Massive people go there all the time. Airbnbs, I know, are super popular out there. Super so the issue with a place like Scotland, uh, Scottsburg and Gatlinburg is that they are have already peaked, right? So mm -hmm. like everyone's already figured them out. Everyone's already drove all the money in there and drove up the price of the real estate. And so it's really hard to find a good deal there, right? Mm. Um, and so what I say where the deals are, and this is you know true for real estate forever, is to go to the submarkets where... Scott, like all of the overflow of Scottsdale, where, where are they all going? The people can't, that can't afford to go to Scottsdale anymore, but still want to be in the same general area. Where are they going? Well, they're going to Phoenix, right? Um, and they're going to, 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 to Glendale and they're going to like Mesa. And those are all the little towns or, or cities around Scottsdale, right? Yeah. And then the same is true for Gatlinburg. They're going to Pigeon Forge or Severville. Um, and, and then you just take that exact same logic and you apply it to every other main area across the entire city or in the entire, across the entire country. And you're going to find all the, um, places where they haven't blown up yet. And you can kind of get into them. Um, now, like the personally, I think like the best possible spots are going to be the really hidden ones that aren't just overflow, but are becoming their own area. Um, and I don't really like I'm I've seen a little bit here and there, but nothing like for sure just yet. So I can't really say anything yet. Hmm. I know that um uh as an example, like airlines are creating new one-way flights from major cities to new areas. Okay, so you have to so think about that, right? So 
there's there's uh if you take like there's this one national park i can't remember where it is but around this national park there's one city that's like the main city that you go to to enter into the national park however there's multiple entrances to the national park right and so the airline has made a new flight to go to the other city that also has an entrance into the national park and so that other city that's not as popular as the first one is now becoming like uh, in, in my opinion, I think it's going to blow up just because they're that's where flights there, right? Yep. It's going to become cheaper to get there. It, it's going to have the overflow. It's further away and it still has direct access to the uh, um, national park. So, so yeah. I so, so I yeah. got one last question for you. You've been amazing. We'll do our wrap, wrap up. So I live in San Diego, California. Just curious, what does the San Diego market look like for Airbnbs? So used to be, and technically right now still is like one of the best markets. If I didn't go to Chicago, I was going to go to San Diego. And I probably should have went to San Diego. <laughs> Better weather for sure. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but the issue is they just put in regulation that's going to end up getting rid of about half of the supply. And so I don't know exactly what the number is, but it's it's under 10,000 listings there. And they're literally about to wipe out about half of them, which is yeah. like, the saddest thing ever because it's it, been all over the news so i'm yeah. I, I was i was testing to see if you knew your stuff yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. No, of course of course <laughs> and um, also like as well san diego's been named the number one like hottest market for real estate in general the property value is crazy so as you said like how much right. of a profit you really get turn here if you're looking right. to like buy a spot here exactly and like so that that's a good example where it makes sense that they're doing that but it sucks you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like it's too bad in a sense. Right. But, but what are you going to do? So, um, so anyways, yeah. So that's, that's my take on San awesome. Diego. San Diego. <laughs> awesome. John, thank you so much for your time today. I think it's so evident the knowledge you have, you've educated us on the different ways that people can go about starting an Airbnb management company, uh, getting into, uh, rental arbitrage, or of course, if you have the capital to fund your own Airbnb by having your own property, Obviously, you have the whole data company as well as consulting to help people out. If people want to find you or learn more information, uh, how can they find you? And everything that you say, of course, is in the bio of how you're listening or watching. And I will make sure all this is uh, evident for you guys to reach out. Yeah, perfect. So um, I have an Airbnb data consulting business. It, it's technically called Point Analytics, uh, but I really like to go by the Airbnb data guy. I think it's just easier to remember. Um, you can reach out to me at hello at pointanalytics.co. Um, and I think that's the best way you can just literally just email me. I'll respond to you. We'll hop on a call and I, I'll help you out trying to figure out whatever it is that you need to figure out. Um, the main way that my business helps people is I create these reports that makes it really easy to understand the data. And then I have a free course on YouTube that allows you to understand it. So there's two courses on YouTube. One is a manual way that's free. The other one is a paid way that you have to reach out to me to actually get use out of. Um, and so, but personally, like if you're going into a place like Nashville or a larger market, you really need it. If you're going into the smaller markets, I do deals where I can do multiple markets for the same price. Um, but regardless, you got to know your data before you get in there. Um, and if you just need, you know, general advice, you can always reach out to me as well. I don't mind talking to people and helping them out. I love building my network. Um, and it's, it's always great to like talk Airbnb with absolutely anybody. So, yeah. And what's the name of your YouTube channel? If people want to look you up, uh, John Bianchi. So John J O H N. And then my last name B I A N C H I. Perfect.
And I'll, again, all this will be in the bio. John, thank you so Perfect. much for coming on today. This was the Leap of Faith podcast, all with the Airbnb data guy, learning about Airbnbs, how you can make it a successful business for yourself. Please like and subscribe to us at Leap of Faith on all socials or however you're listening over audio. John, thank you so much for coming on. I would like you to repeat after me to do the sign off. Stay healthy. Stay healthy. Stay wealthy. Making that money in Airbnb. <laughs> Stay wealthy. And most importantly, happy week, fans. Happy, happy week, fans. Deuces. <laughs> Deuces.